0: Our Old Testament Scripture reading comes from the book of Isaiah. We'll be reading Isaiah chapter 61. Hear then the word of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's jubilee and the day of the vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, "...that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that He may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins, they shall raise up the former devastations, they shall repair the ruined city, the devastations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and tend your flocks, foreigners shall be your plowmen and vine dressers, but you shall be called the priests of the Lord." They shall speak of you as the ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of the nations, and in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their offspring shall be known among the nations and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge them that they are an offspring that they are an offspring the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all nations." I don't know if you knew this uh, but the very first sermon that Jesus preached in his earthly ministry was from this text. After his temptation in the wilderness, he was baptized, remember he goes straight into the wilderness. And afterward he comes to Nazareth and he's in the synagogue on the Sabbath and he stands and he reads this text. He reads the spirit ...of the Lord is upon me... ...because he has anointed me. And when he finished... ...he sat down... ...and he told those listening... ...today... ...this has been fulfilled... ...in your hearing. So this prophecy... ...from Isaiah speaks... ...of the Christ... ...the anointed one... ...the one that would be anointed by the Lord... ...and Jesus says... ...that it's him... He says this was him. And so this text tells us a little bit about what the Christ, the anointed one, came to do. What was it that he came to do? Well, he came to bring good news. Right? Good news, uh, which is the gospel, right? This is what gospel means. It means good news. It's, it's the, the message of good news or victory that is proclaimed by a king. Kings would send out their gospelers, their their. their People that would go and bring this good news to those who were in farther off lands... ...in order to tell them of the good news of the king. He came to proclaim victory for those who were in bondage. Freedom for those who were in prison. To proclaim the year of jubilee. That's the year of the Lord's favor in some translations. right? A year when all debts would be forgiven. right? The true year of jubilee... ...had come in him. He came in order to bring everlasting joy, it says. An unending joy. And all of this he has done. This is all something that Jesus has done. And there's so much more, right? There's so much more that is spoken of here. It's almost as if you get the the image... ...that the world was like a complete wasteland. Right? Where nothing grew. Or you could imagine... Just an area that had been black topped over, right? And there's there's no life, right? It's all dead. But then, what do we have in verse 11? It's the promise of the Lord. He says, for as the earth brings forth its sprouts and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. So Jesus Christ, in founding his kingdom in the world, the church of the living God, he has made righteousness and praise to sprout up, right? He was was the seed, the first fruits, the beginning. And now it is sprouting up. If you've ever gardened before, and I know many of you have, think about maybe the first time you planted something, and then it begins to sprout up and it's like magic, right? It's so exciting. It's it's almost like, how does this even work, right? Why why does this happen? I don't know, but it's, it's almost magical. Or think about every year, especially here in Wisconsin, when spring starts to hit, and all of a sudden you go from what we have right now, which is beautiful in its own right, but then all of a sudden it's just green everywhere, right? Everywhere. There's green springing up. There's life coming back. That's that's what this is talking about. This is what has happened in the coming of Christ. It's it's astounding. It's glorious. And how much more glorious is what, what Christ has done in bringing about this righteousness and praise to grow up in the world far more than the glorious beauty of spring. When this sprout is tended by a master gardener, you expect it to keep growing and so here we are in La Crosse Wisconsin far away from where this first began and we're praising God we're living in the righteousness that he has both given us and taught us this is all because of the coming of Jesus Christ and all of it he spoke about in his very first sermon all of it he said this is what I'm here to do this is what I'm all about The anointed one brought this all about. So, for those who are poor today, for those of you who feel in bondage, for those of you who feel burdened down by the weight of guilt, the weight of shame, for those of you who mourn and desire to be comforted, for those of you who are weary of the world, Jesus Christ came for you. Jesus Christ came in order that you might find true peace, true joy, all the peace and joy that you may desire. This is what he has come for. This is what he has proclaimed. Our New Testament scripture reading comes from the Gospel of Matthew. We'll be reading from chapter 16 and be reading verse 13 to 20. So, Matthew 16. I'll give you a moment to turn there if you want to follow along. Beginning in verse 13. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. This is God's holy and inspired word for us this morning. So the question today is, who is Jesus Christ? In order to confess Him, you must first know Him. To say, like we do uh, when we, we confess the Apostles' Creed, I believe in Jesus Christ, we must actually know who He is. To say that, we must trust and submit to Him. And so that's a question we're dealing with from this text. In the Scripture we just... Read Jesus asked this very question to the apostles. And admittedly, this passage is known for being one of the more difficult to understand and interpret. Uh, This passage is is known to create a lot of different interpretations. uh, And so there's a lot of debate. But we're not going to cover that portion of the text today. Not because we're trying to shy away from it by any means, but uh, because we're focusing in specifically on the confession that Peter makes when Jesus asks him this question. And just as he asked them the question so that the scripture would present us with the same question, you are being presented with that same question. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that Jesus Christ is? is this is the foundational question right everything else flows from this everything you think and know about god about life about how to live all of it comes down to how you answer this question right you might not even realize it all the time but this is the most consequential question of all so who do you say that he is We're going to work to answer that from this text. And though we'll focus on Peter's confession, before we even get there, we should back up to what might just not even come to mind, what might just be so obvious that we just pass it by. And that's the fact that Jesus' name is already given. We already have the name of this one who is speaking. Who am I, he says. Well, we already have his name given here, The Jesus' name is Jesus. And that might seem like that's such an obvious thing that why would we even cover it? But it, it matters because this does reveal something about who he is. Right? We, we must know what that is. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because uh, we covered some of this in the, this past year's Christmas Eve sermon. And if you want to go back and listen to that, if you didn't get a chance to hear it at the time, you can find that on the church website but we did cover a little bit about what exactly this name jesus means so let's just recap that a little bit right what what does the name jesus mean remember it it was not a name that mary and joseph just came up with it was given first to them in order to give to him right it was given from heaven first and jesus was actually a a fairly common name it was not a particularly special name It's not as though no one else had this name, that it was newly minted for him, but it was particular for him. Why? Do you remember what the angel Gabriel said when he said that this must be his name, that you will call his name Jesus? It's because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus means saviour. This is why he's given the name, because the reason he came into the world was in order to be a savior. When you say, "I believe in Jesus Christ," you're saying that you believe that because of your sin, both you and the whole of the world is in need of a savior. We are all in need of saving, and we're confessing that He is the one, right? He is. The Savior, His name is Jesus, the Savior of the world. Now, his name at this point is just assumed by everyone. It's just how he is known. But I didn't want to just pass it over. right? What does what uh, the Apostle Peter say in the book of Acts when he's presenting the gospel? This is in Acts 4. He says, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That name, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, that is the one by whom we can be saved. So Jesus presents this question to his disciples. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now what does that mean, the Son of Man? Again, we just hear this language all the time, maybe we'll just jump right over it. But what is this Son of Man business? what's he talking about well when jesus uses the term son of man it's it's the most common way that he spoke of himself if you read through the gospels the the number one way that christ refers to himself is by calling himself the son of man and it might seem like it could just be a you know designating him as you know a man or the man right he is he is the man the, the start of a new humanity something like that but this term son of man actually has a much deeper meaning for those who know their bibles if we go back to the prophet daniel he had a vision of one who is like a son of man he prophesied about this one that was to come this is what it says in daniel 7 13 to 14. It says i saw in the night visions So when Jesus referred to himself as the son of man, this should be part of what we're thinking. right? The one who has come to establish an everlasting kingdom. Now I don't know and I don't think that most people when he said son of man thought that. I don't think that they realized that that is what he was in part referring to. Because son of man was also just a somewhat general designation. You can think of other prophets in the Bible like Ezekiel who were referred to as the son of man. So maybe people just thought, well, look, here is a prophet, right? Another prophet has arisen, and that's who this is. But really, Jesus was far more than that. And so he asked the disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Who do people say that he is? They say, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. There's confusion. There's, There's debate. There's discussion. They're not sure, in other words. Some say John the Baptist. Now, if you remember, by this point, John the Baptist has been beheaded. He has been killed. But because of the kind of ministry that he had as a prophet of God, there were some that when they heard Jesus, they thought, maybe this is John the Baptist raised from the dead. He's come back. God has brought him back to life, and he is, he is back to continue to preach. Right? This kind of report was reaching even Herod, who had had him beheaded, and it caused him to fear. Remember, people don't have, you know, it's not as though people are sharing some kind of you know, video of Jesus preaching somewhere. Right? What you have in most of Judea is just reports from others. Right? It, your friend was in Nazareth, or you know, the cousin of your friend went and saw this man, stood way back in a crowd, and heard him preaching. And so what he brings back to you is, maybe this sounded like John the Baptist. Maybe it's him. Right? Maybe he rose from the dead. They hear it through the grapevine, in other words. Or they, they just don't understand exactly who Jesus is, but he sounds like those that have come before. Some say maybe he's Elijah and there was a tradition an understanding from scripture which we have in the book of malachi for instance if you remember that elijah in some way or form would be coming back before the day of the lord came right before the messiah arrived they were expecting for elijah to come now they were expecting a literal elijah because elijah was taken up in a chariot of fire into heaven he didn't die so they thought well he is going to literally return come back, and that will be what what prepares people for the day of the Lord and the coming of the Messiah. And some people thought that's who Jesus must be. Maybe he is Elijah, come back. Others were told thought, you know, maybe he's Jeremiah or one of the prophets, right? They know he must be some kind of a prophet. So there's confusion about who Jesus is. There's ignorance about who he is. There's misunderstanding. There's, there's hearsay. Verse 15. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? It doesn't matter what everyone else is saying. Right? It doesn't matter what hearsay you have. It doesn't matter what the crowd is saying about who Jesus is. Who do you say that I am, he says. Who do you say that I am? He wants to know from those who are closest to him, from his disciples themselves. So what do they say? Peter confesses that he is the Christ. Not the forerunner to the Christ. But the Christ. Verse 16. Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ. The Son of the living God. See, everybody was waiting for the Christ. The Messiah. The Anointed One. They were waiting for Him to come. And many thought that Jesus was preparing the way for Him. But they didn't recognize that it was actually Him. But His disciples know who he really is. Peter confesses that he's the one that everybody is waiting for. And I think Peter confesses in part on behalf of the rest of the disciples. Right? He speaks for everyone in a sense. Christ, as I already said, means anointed one, right? the Messiah that was to come. Right? Christ, sometimes just the way that we use the word, we think Christ was just almost like a last name for Jesus. Right? It's Jesus Christ. That's his full name. But no, Jesus was his name, but Christ was a title that was bestowed upon him. It tells us something about who he is, what he came to do. He was the long-awaited, anointed one. that was spoken of throughout the Old Testament. Right? Remember, we want to be reading the Scripture right, left to right, right, because we read in English, in Hebrew... You read right to left. But in English, we're reading left to right. When we come to the Gospels, when we come to to the Christ coming on the scene, we should have all kinds of background in understanding who this is, who this is supposed to be. When Peter confesses this, he has that background. He knows what has been said about the Messiah that will come. He's still confused in some regard. We know that there's still confusion. He doesn't know it perfectly, but... He's, he's got that base of understanding. So when he says Christ, it means a lot. We can't go everywhere with this, but remember, for instance, Isaiah 61 that we read earlier. Right? There is this one who is coming that would be anointed by the Lord to bring about salvation for Israel, to bring this sprouting up amongst the nations, right? to establish this kingdom. That's the background of what it means that he is the anointed one. Right? And he had preached it from the beginning. right? Christ said from, right from the start of his ministry. He said it was him. For those who had ears to hear, right? for those who were given the ability to understand what was going on, they could actually know from the start. But most didn't have that. Most, it was actually concealed from, you see that at the end of this text, right? he tells his disciples not to tell everybody that he is the Christ, because of what it would have caused, right? The kinds of uproar. Remember, most people thought the Christ, the Messiah, was going to come and he would lead some kind of physical army against the Romans, right? And reestablish the physical Jerusalem, right? There were people that were uh, just waiting around for somebody to rise up so that they could revolt and kill as many Romans as they could, right? That's what they wanted. Jesus does not want that to take place right he doesn't he tells his disciples not to tell everyone about him a lot of what jesus preached and the way he spoke was actually made to conceal things so that only those who really had ears to hear could understand this is sometimes uh, confused when people think about the parables for instance sometimes you'll you know read books or something where people talk about how you know jesus using the parables this is like a, a. A better way to communicate right he's connecting with his audience and so we should communicate like Jesus communicated right because he used these analogies and stories and images that would connect with people that they would understand but when Jesus used the parables he said I'm doing this so that they don't understand I don't want them to understand I only want those who have been given ears to hear to understand and he gives his disciples the ability to actually understand what he's talking about. He explains it to them because these things are given for them, but not just for everyone. So he is somewhat concealed, but for those who have ears to hear, like his disciples, it could be known. And so they, being close to him, they see him, they they know this is the Christ. And this wasn't just revealed to them by their own deductive logic. No, verse 17, And Jesus answered, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Right? The Father had to reveal this to them. Because Jesus is not simply a man. Right? He is the Son of the living God. And we're not going to spend a lot of time on that topic today, because we'll have a whole sermon next week on that topic. But because he is the eternally begotten Son of God, because he is God in the flesh, Because God is spirit. He had to be revealed by spiritual means. But let's focus then on this title of Christ. Because it's central to knowing who Jesus is and what he's come to do. Now, just because Christ means anointed one, that doesn't necessarily help us. We don't use that language a lot. Maybe that doesn't right away explain to you what that means. Right? That's just adding another word that needs to be defined. But think about it like this. Again, go back. Go back into the Old Testament. Think through what you know of the Old Testament and where you find people being anointed. Okay, kids. I want all the kids to be listening. I know, look up from your coloring and drawing. But think about... Anybody that was anointed with oil in the Old Testament. In fact, there are, there are three what we call offices in the Old Testament that Christ fulfills that would be anointed. And I know that some of you know this because you've been going over it in the catechism class. We can hear you singing about it. Right? The three offices that Christ fulfills from the Old Testament. What are they? It was prophet, a priest, and a king these are the three that you will find throughout the old testament being anointed for their role so in christ is the anointed one we can look back to that and say this is describing something it's it's revealing something about who he is and what he's come to do to confess jesus as christ means that he is the prophet right not just any prophet he is the prophet In this way some people were like they were on the right trail right they thought he must be a kind of prophet they were right about that but he is the prophet and what do prophets do they reveal the will of God to his people they speak on behalf of God Jesus is the prophet because he came in order to make known the will of God for their salvation Hebrews 1 says this long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son. Right, so, so Christ is, is the ultimate prophet, having been anointed to proclaim to the world the good news of salvation for all who believe. In many ways, Moses is held up in the Old Testament as the, the kind of ultimate prophet. Prophet, And yet, one who is greater than Moses is here. Moses himself predicted, in Deuteronomy 18, he prophesied that there would be a prophet that would rise up from among Israel. And he was speaking of Jesus. So when we call Jesus the Christ, in part we're saying that he is the, the greater, the truest of prophets. Priests were also anointed To be priests, right? They were set apart by anointing. And Jesus is the great high priest. Not just any high priest. He is the great high priest. Let me read some words from Hebrews chapter 5. It says this, "...for every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins." He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself but only when called by God just as Aaron was. So also, Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest but was appointed. He He was anointed, he was set aside for this task by him who said, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Jesus is the great high priest. And just as a high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies, the presence of God in the tabernacle or the temple, so Jesus Christ has now ascended on high, entered into the presence of God where he intercedes for us. So he has offered himself as a sacrifice to satisfy divine justice and bring us into reconciliation with God. So, too, he intercedes for us, always standing in our place before the throne of God. He gives us direct access to God. Right? It is through him that we might know God. So Jesus is the anointed one because he is the high priest. You know, sometimes we read the Old Testament, the ceremonies of the law, right? we read about the sacrificial system. It's kind of hard to get through some of that. And we think of it as, well, all of this has passed away. And in a way it has, right? In a way it has passed away. We don't take part in those things in the same way because they were types and shadows of what is to come. But they've not passed away in in that they have no meaning because actually we still, in a sense, take part in those things just in their fullness, in the substance which is Christ. Because we still have a sacrifice. It's just the once-for-all sacrifice of Christ himself. Right? We still have a high priest. It is just Christ himself, whoever lives and intercedes for us. We still have a temple. It is Jesus Christ, right? the true Zion. It's through him that we now come to know God. Jesus, then, is the anointed one because he is prophet, because he is priest, and finally because he is a king. Right? Kings are also those who were anointed. The office of king was set aside by anointing, usually anointing by a prophet or a priest or both. Now I've been referring just offhand to some of the language that comes from the Westminster Shorter Catechism and the larger catechism, but uh, I haven't outright cited it, but I want to cite what it says in the Shorter Catechism about Jesus being a king. So how, how, does, how does Christ execute the office of a king? It says this, Christ executes the office of a king in subduing us to himself, in ruling and defending us, and in restraining and conquering all his enemies and ours. If you want to hear that song, you can ask some of the kids, because I think that they could sing it. I'm not going to sing it for us. But he is, he is king because he, he does those things. Christ is king. As a king, he has subdued you to his will. Right? He has made you one of his one who is subject to him and his rule but what's glorious about this is that would that would be good right we you know we're good western people we live in a democratic society so the idea of you know being the subject of a king just automatically i think has negative connotations to us but no this is good right we have a good king it would be good to be subject to him right that's true for you but what's even more glorious is the fact that Not only are you his subjects, you're also co-heirs of the Son. And so you are co-rulers with him in his kingdom. He he has seated you with Christ in the heavenly places on the throne. You you get to co-rule, be a part of his kingdom. He rules over you, giving you his laws to direct your life. He defends you by his word and spirit. He protects you from the work of sin, from the temptation of the world, from the raging of the devil. And he restrains and he conquers all of his enemies and our enemies. Right? Because we're his subjects, we have the same enemies that he does. And he restrains and conquers all of them, both internal and external. Right? This is what sanctification is in our lives, as we, as we become more like Christ, right? as we learn more and more what it is to put to death our sin nature, right? That is the work of God crushing the enemies that we have in our own flesh, crushing the old man, all of the enemies of the church corporately, right? All of those who rise up against Christ and his kingdom, whether they be nations, whether they be individuals, whether they be governments, all of them will be put down. Because, as the psalmist says, Behold, I make your enemies a footstool. So Jesus is the anointed one because he is a prophet. He he has revealed to you the will of God for your salvation. Because he is a priest, because he intercedes for you, because he he has been the final sacrifice for your sins. Because it's by him that you come to know the living and true God. And he is a king because he rules over you defends you, protects you, and conquers your enemies. Congregation of Christ, this is who the Holy Scripture reveals Christ to be. This is who Jesus Christ is. He is the Savior of you, his people. He is the Anointed One, Prophet, Priest, and King. And so the question is still posed, though. We've described what the text says, but the question to you is, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that he is? Will you simply define him as you want to, making him into your image, following your will and desires? Right? Will he be to you just a you know a kind, gentle man that lived a good life and we can kind of follow it? It teaches us something, but he's just one among a, a pantheon of other guides, of other people to follow. Will he be to you simply a means to an end, right? Someone that that makes your life easier, makes you feel better, someone that gives you respectability, someone that will provide what you really want, right? You use him to get what you truly desire. Or will he be who he truly is? Will you submit yourself to who he has revealed himself to be? Right? Will he be to you Savior, the anointed one spoken of by the prophets, the fulfillment of the law, your king? Brothers and sisters, when we confess, when we say, I believe in Jesus Christ, that is what we must mean. Right, We must mean what the word of God proclaims. And I hope that is true of you. Let's pray. Lord God, we do ask that we would not be as the crowd, that we would not be confused or ignorant of who you truly are, but that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to receive, that by faith we might know you, who you truly are, that we would not believe in a false Christ, but in you, Lord God. In you, Lord Jesus. Help us, we pray, by your spirit. Amen.